Hi, I'm Megan Z, and welcome to Clinic Ally, the show where we talk about neurodivergence, counseling, and clinician perspectives. Our focus is how to support our loved ones and ourselves. Let's learn how to work together and be Clinic Allies. Hello, and welcome to the Silver Linings Podcast, Clinic Ally. I'm your host, Megan Z, and I have with me my co-host, Holly Sharp. Hello, we are so excited about today's episode. We're going to be talking about PCIT therapy with our guests, Dr. Megan Chrysler and Emily Whaley, LPC. All right, you guys. Well, you know, this is actually an area that I don't know pretty much anything about. Could you guys go ahead and tell us, you know, start with the basics. What is PCIT? So PCIT is a form of therapy called parent-child interaction therapy. And what really stands out about it over all sorts of other other therapy models is it really is parent-led. And so the types of, of kiddos and families and situations that will present for PCIT really are families that are having a lot of behavioral problems, compliance issues, lots of power struggles. And so what PCIT does is it teaches the parents a lot of the really key play therapy techniques that counselors will use. Also, it uses a lot of strong behavioral techniques, but we really teach the parents directly how to use these systems at home and how to not just improve compliance, but improve the relationship between parent and child. Because oftentimes if if compliance is a problem, then parenting is no longer that fun. And we see that the relationship tends to get a little strained sometimes. I would agree about the relationship part. The one reason that I like using PCIT is that it starts with rebuilding the foundation of the relationship between the parent and the child. When the child can be extremely difficult to parent, and I'm going to be really honest, I have been there. It is difficult to like your child all the time. That's difficult anyway, but when every time you try to communicate with your child, there's a scream or there's an aggressive behavior or there's a destructive behavior, it is difficult. You tend to walk on eggshells around your child, and I think the child picks up on that, and sometimes that can exacerbate all of those difficult issues. So PCIT helps that part first, where the communication's there, you're able to have a build a warm and kind of loving, open um, relationship, even before the parent has to do anything behaviorally. One of the um, one of the my favorite examples with PCIT that kind of goes along with that is when I remember when I was being trained in PCIT. One of my one of my supervisors said, you know, think about every good boss. We uh, just just before you continue, we do have another guest. It is Abigail, um, which is Dr. Chrysler's little girl. So if you hear random singing, she's watching Frozen Two. It's not her fault. Um, this is just the reality of being a working mom. Um, this is where we're at. Sorry, please, please continue. So, so what, they, what they challenged us to do was to think about two different types of bosses or supervisors we've ever had. A really, really nice one and one who's constantly micromanaging and is stern and is angry. Now, so ignore the fact of, you know, well, my anger is justified or anything like that. Just think about the two bosses. And if they both ask you to do the same thing, you're going to do backflips for the super nice boss that you have a warm relationship with, 
but the one where you have more of an antagonistic relationship with, you're going to be more hesitant to comply. And so that's why PCIT really focuses on let's build a relationship first. Additionally, on top of that, um, I think we have to take into account how hard this can be for parents. Um, I read recently about PTSD, so trauma reactions, and parents that are raising a child that um, has special needs, especially behaviorally, they have the same levels of PTSD and the same occurrence as war veterans. So this isn't a small issue that they're dealing with. This isn't necessarily bad parenting. It's, it's really, really difficult in the whole family dynamic and it can make parents feel powerless. So the first step, which is called child-directed interaction, is really just about the parent being able to be in a room with their child and play and have fun. And we, as the therapist, we hope to be able to kind of direct around some of those behaviors that are so ingrained in the relationship so the parent can kind of learn how do we get around those as well in a way that doesn't create conflict. I'm really glad to hear you both kind of clarify and point out that it's the core relationship that is the starting point. Um, because I think especially now we're seeing a trend where more parents are looking to do what's what they're calling gentle parent. And so when we as clinicians use terms like compliance, I almost wonder, does that denote this idea of being a very authoritative or authoritarian parent and just wanting your child to do what you say, but that's not really the focus at all. When you're talking about compliance, you're talking about having the relationship and the foundation there between parent and child that mitigates some of those um, really upsetting behaviors that can trigger parents and that also make a child distressed. One of the things with PCIT that I think is really fascinating is, and, and this kind of goes along with the gentle parenting discussion, is it's separated into two dynamics. You have the child-directed section and you have the parent-directed. So the child-directed section is where we're really building that relationship. And I think you could look at some of that as more gentle parenting approaches in, in some ways. Um, but once you start getting to the parent-directed, you do cross into some, some areas where you are expecting them to do something. You are expecting them to, do, to, to follow through. And if they don't, there's a consequence to it. Um, but the interesting part about the research on PCIT and what I have seen, and Emily, mm -hmm. you tell me if you've seen something similar, is that once you get through that child-directed portion and you maybe introduce the PDI portions, the parent-directed portions, a lot of the oppositional behaviors and the power struggles have already declined. And so, you know, really the the thought of, you know, well, PCIT is being very authoritarian and, you know, I'm, I'm putting all these demands. You really don't have to put too many demands because once that relationship is there, you find that compliance kind of naturally starts to flow along. I would say I've seen that once, we, because child-directed lasts until parents are able to build on those play therapy communication skills. So it can last eight sessions, it can last 12 sessions, it can last until the parent feels confident and the therapist feels confident to move on to parent-directed. But and just anecdotally, I don't know that I could even really speak to the research, but anecdotally across my um, clients, I'll see at the end of child-directed, a lot of the behavior 
is um, is reduced. And parents will say that, children will say that, and even children will have better speech. Um, they will have more a more open affect, and you know, because when you're getting in trouble all the time, you tend to have kind of a little kind of a flat face. Um, but after CDI, you'll see them kind of be happier and listen better and all of the things that parents tend to need to address. So it's not just compliance for compliance sake. No. We're looking at just the parent-child dynamic overall. First, targeting that relationship, make sure that a good, strong foundation exists there in the child-led component, Mm -hmm. and then teaching the parent effectively how to discipline effectively, Mm -hmm. and using the term discipline as a form of teaching. Yeah, yes, yeah. Do you feel that compliance is an appropriate term for this? Like, it is within training. Do you use that term when you're talking to parents? Or do you use something more like participation or cooperation from the child? Mm, Cooperation could be a good word, but I think following directives is going to be something that we track in the parent-directive portion. For example, if you say, child's name, hand me the blue car. That is a very clear instruction, but for a child that tends to be oppositional, that's like lighting a match, mm-hmm. right? And so they're like, well, I'm not going to do that. And that's where PDI, the parent-directed portion, teaches the parent how to react to that fairly emotionless because then the child's not getting the parent's emotion as feedback, and we're just sticking with the directive in and of itself. So yes, it is compliance, but it's teaching the parent how to offer that in a way that does not create these feedback loops of fighting in just a yucky relationship. And I find myself referencing power struggles. Power mm-hmm. struggles, meltdowns, fights. I mean, that, that family tension. And it will stem from compliance because there are some times where you need them to put their shoes on quickly. We do not have time to have a 30-minute right. exactly. battle. Well said, I think. So after, so you begin with the child-focused portion, mm-hmm. and then anything else to add about that before talking about next steps? I think the, the child-focused portion is one that I, what I've noticed in talking with parents is they get a little frustrated with because they can often miss, you know, what does this have to do with ending these mm-hmm. fights at home? But I've found it really interesting and I I say this with so much caution because we are all so busy, but one of the things that we challenge parents to do, and it's part of the the child-directed section, is to spend some specific quality time with your child, and we set a lot of parameters around what that looks like, and it is interesting how difficult that can be for a lot of families for so many completely valid reasons, and so that child-directed portion, even though we're not placing a lot of demands and commands on the child, it's, it's difficult, but, but it's very fruitful. Do you think it's difficult for the parents to sit and just spend that unadulterated time focusing on their child playing with no interruptions? Especially if they have battled you all day. Yes. And now you've got to act positive and happy and sweet and wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it's guaranteed. I mean, imagine if that were an adult. That that has given you a hard time all day and then you're supposed to go on a date with that person and feel like loving you don't want to do that and it's the same for a parent going into 
the a playtime with a child. We don't want to do that when our child has acted so terribly all day. Um, of course not. But that's where the practice comes in. Because the more you practice, the easier it becomes to shift between needing to discipline and having having those power struggles and going into back into that positive communication. What would you say to parents who were afraid then, oh, my child's had this terrible day and we've been fighting and having meltdowns and tantrums and back talk all day and now I'm just supposed to go give them everything they want? Isn't that just making it worse? Isn't that just rewarding them for their bad behavior? That's a good question, but I wonder how it would feel to worry that your parent does not want to spend time with you because you've been so terrible and your self-esteem is in the toilet essentially. And then they say, come on, we're gonna go play for a few minutes. Just knowing that you're loved and cared about outside of the behavior, that can be more healing than taking that special time away. I'm sure it makes it, it makes it feel probably like love is not earned. Like they, like their parents mm-hmm. love them, but yes. it's not earned through their positive behaviors. Yes. Right. At the end of the day, regardless of how rough everything has been, regardless of what you've done, what I've done, I love you. We have this, this connection, this bond, and that is stable. And I think that's one reason why this type of therapy works so well for kids who have been through some form of trauma, mm-hmm. adoption issues, all sorts of conditions. It, it's there's just so many kids who that foundation of trust and security is somewhat shaky for a variety of reasons. In in behavior analysis world, we would refer to this as some non-contingent attention, meaning the child didn't have to be good all day to earn that special time with the parent or didn't have to do anything at all. It just happens. Just based on their personhood. Now, as a caveat to that, if the parent and child are in we refer to it as special time, um, and the child becomes violent or um, breaks something, becomes destructive, then parents are allowed to end special time. Not as a punishment, but the the language, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. I think it's, well, special time has to end because you hit mommy. I know that um, we won't do that tomorrow and we'll have special time again tomorrow or something to that effect. Something like, I bet, you know, I bet we'll, we'll... We'll get to enjoy this again tomorrow. So you you place some expectation that, hey, this happened today. Tomorrow will be great. And you end it positively, but with boundaries, Mm -hmm. you know, because we don't violate another person's boundaries. And that's essentially what you're teaching them with that. I think that could probably make a lot of parents breathe a sigh of relief to hear from professionals that it's okay to have that boundary, a safety boundary that your child isn't allowed to hurt you or be violent. I know I've talked to parents in my own practice who want to try, they call it time ends, when their child's melting down or really upset or having a tantrum, the parent wants to show that they're there for them and that, um, like you were saying, Megan, love isn't earned. Like I unconditionally love and support you and I'll support you through this. But a child does not have the cognitive tools to regulate and participate in that. And when a parent is getting hurt, um, but because they're trying to be there in that moment for their child, I can imagine that it would be a great comfort to know it's okay to step out of that. It's okay not to put yourself in harm's way. And I think, I think that's one of the somewhat 
I almost want to say dangerous, but this, this may be a, that may be way too far of a, of a comment to make. But one of the dangerous things that I hear coming out of this whole gentle parenting movement, too, and I'm not saying I'm anti-gentle parenting. I'm 100% for it if it's used in a correct way. But, you know, if you do have a child who is violating your personal boundaries, because as parents, you are still a person, too. Your child is not allowed to beat up on you. Your child is not allowed, you know, and I'm talking about in 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 most cases, right? But there's this whole concept that we don't want to do timeouts because we don't want to abandon our child and and leave them alone. Well, depending on the age of your child, they may need to learn a lesson that if you do this to people, if you violate their boundaries, they will step away. Now, as your, your parent, I'm always going to come back. In a moment, I start to see you engaging in more positive behaviors. I'm right there, and we're going to have this special time. But this concept of we can never leave our, lone, our child alone in the midst of a tantrum, I don't, I don't fully agree with that. I think sometimes they do need that lesson that we can't just beat would, up on another person. Yes, I would uh, agree with that as well because, and this happens with abusive parents as well, once you've done something one time, once a child has hit a parent one time and the parent does not react with a consequence, which would be to put that child down, to, to put space between them, it creates a neural connection that makes it more likely to happen the next time. Yes. And that happens with on the opposite side as well. Once a parent has gone too far in discipline, no matter how guilty they feel, if they don't take a step back, then it's created that connection, that pattern that is going to happen again. So essentially, now I can't say this every time, obviously, but essentially by doing a time in while your child is beating on you is creating a neural connection and a pattern that allows that to continue. So really parents are setting up the foundations for like future relationships, really, mm -hmm. because they're teaching them, parents are expected to teach them boundaries, which I think, do you ever have parents that like seem or say, I guess, that they feel guilty about setting boundaries with their child? I have had very clear moments doing particularly the parent-directed section of PCIT where the way, the way parent-directed goes is you give a child a command, and I'm going to really nugget this. It's, it's much more extensive than this, but you give a child a command, they don't comply. We do essentially a time-in in, in many ways where you direct your attention elsewhere. You withdraw your attention from them, and you they're supposed to be put in, in, in a time-out chair and all that, but then if they still don't comply, eventually you step out of the room and you leave the room. And usually that level of, of withdrawal it, especially the first couple of times you do it, it can elicit such a big reaction, such a big tantrum from the child that the parents really struggle with it quite a bit. And I find that when, you know, we're standing outside of the room with the child, or with the parent rather, sorry, that would be frozen. <laughs> when we're standing outside of the room with the parent, I've had many counseling sessions mm -hmm. with the parent you know, trying to walk them through why they feel terrible about this. Sometimes it's religious reasons. Sometimes it's their own history of trauma. And so it's there's a therapeutic aspect of it for the parents. And it is hard to watch your child having a total meltdown, especially in public. Mm -hmm. She's actually had to counsel me outside the room doing PCIT. And I'm like, I'm feeling this has gone on for a really long time. Am I doing the right thing? Should we call yes. it? Should we end it? And that's what I, I love about PCIT, because especially when your child is in the midst of a meltdown at home, it's hard to see what end is up. I mean, mm -hmm. even as much as I can sit here and talk about PCIT, I can say, honestly, when my kids have been having tantrums, I don't even know my own name. 
And so, especially when you're learning PCIT, to have a counselor there walking you through the meltdown, essentially saying, yes, you are doing the right thing. This is the right step. It is going to come to an end. It is going (laughs) to come to an end. I've had some of these meltdowns last four and a half hours before. And everybody's exhausted and hungry by the end of it. It's, it's miserable, but it works. And, it's, and so then when it does happen at home, you have a series of steps to fall back on. You, you know what to do. You have a plan, and yes. you're not left to just making judgment calls in the middle of your, your own self being elevated or triggered because your child is in distress. And we have charts. We have handouts. We have all sorts of nice things to help parents during this time. Oh, yes. It is very much step one, step two, step three, and then we can almost anticipate how the child will behave. And typically, you'll, you're going to have one huge meltdown with PCIT, and then you may have a couple of baby ones. And then in general, the, what we've taught in parent-directed interaction is mom and dad's word means something. Mm-hmm. We don't get to ignore We don't get to act out. When we do that, there are a series of steps that mom and dad are going to do every single time, and we want to avoid that. And so the child does generally perk up when mom and dad speak. And that's why there's research to show that it helps with so many different, you know, neurodivergent issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Kids with ADHD, you know, one of the things that that we hear is that, you know, they're so hyper-focused on something they're not even attuned to mom or dad's voice. There's research evidence to show that actually that can improve. You know, mom and dad's voice, you know, says a command, their brain actually becomes more conditioned to hearing it. And so it can help with attention. It can help with language development. I think we mentioned earlier so many things. I've seen that in session where you've got a child who gets so involved and invested in what they're doing that they literally don't hear their parent. And then, of course, their parent's upset. Nobody likes to be ignored. So then that creates, you know, a negative interaction. Well, PCIT teaches the parent how to cut that um, pattern and, let them know that they need to listen, I guess is the best way to say it. So I want to clarify for myself also, but for any parents that may have heard like, oh, this is a great therapy to help, but also expect the meltdowns um, in the process of therapy. Meltdowns happen because old patterns are no longer being reinforced or they're no longer working. Meltdowns happen because responses are changing. Is that right? So it's not a matter of hurting anyone or being mean to anyone or any uh, putting any child through undue hardship. It's a child's reaction to a change. And it's oh, kind yes. of an intelligent thing on their part. It's their last-ditch effort to try to get what they want, you know. And it's, in many ways, I, I, I like to put a positive spin on everything, you know, they've got some pretty good, strong self-determination, you know. (laughs) So there's that. Um, But yes, it's just their reaction. When, you know, something that I've noticed, like with speech therapy, given that I work with a lot of kids who are on the spectrum um, or who do have behaviors, one of the things that I have to teach them is the expectations for their language use in the room. And it kind of looks somewhat similar, actually, with having, like, meltdowns and things like that. And me directing parents on how I go, hey, like, this is where I think it's coming from. And the more I see a kid and the more I learn about a kid, 
the better I know where that behavior is kind of stemming from. And the more I can be like, hey, they're using their language for this or they're doing this. Um, I have a kid right now who um, we're using routine speech for him to kind of get out of his meltdown and frustration. He wants a toy. I'm not giving him the toy. And that's because I've set up the expectation that he has to ask me for the toy. Mm -hmm. Trying to yank it out of my hands isn't going to work. You're going to have to use a word or a sound or a point. Those are the expectations I've set up for you. I model them. I show him what I want. When he doesn't get it with what he used to do, which is just to take it, he gets upset. And that's understandable. Mm -hmm. He throws himself on the ground. He'll go and cry to mom. And all of that I see is just normal. So what we've started doing, because he gets frustrated too quickly for me to ask him to do something, I've started counting to three. So essentially, I'm using routine speech with him. I'm, we're counting to three so that I can ask him to say a word because he really likes numbers and it gives him a routine. So he'll be in the middle of being frustrated and I'll start the count with giving him a visual where I'll kind of bring my hand kind of like not into his face obviously but into his line of vision if he's not really wanting to look at me and I'll start the count verbally and visually and then I'll tell him the word I want him to use and then it'll be his turn and like mom said that we've been trying to start with first then language which first then is essentially teaching um, first you do this then you get this like first you say a word and then you get the thing you asked for um, I've been encouraging mom to use first then at home because I knew that he needed to have a meltdown and I didn't have time for it. And we have a 45 minute session. I don't have time for him to have a full meltdown, but she does. And she did. She told him he couldn't have his tablet until he brushed his teeth. He had a meltdown for maybe about an hour. And then he came, he brushed his teeth and he came back and asked for the tablet. Mm -hmm. And it really is like when you're setting those boundaries, you're setting that expectation of what you want from them. It's not you know, it's kind of an exchange of you did this, so now you get this. It's not so much, um, it is a demand being placed on them, but we have to use it with speech therapy too, mm -hmm. so that we can try to build language and teach them how to use their language instead of having a meltdown, but also using those first then concepts for giving them more opportunities to communicate. And I think the, in PCIT, it's very similar. We're not just putting kids on timeout. That's not, you know, what parent directed is. It's teaching them to understand that mom and dad are giving them an instruction and that they need to listen and do it really quickly because they don't want the consequence. And they get an, a second chance. I believe the language is, I need you to do blah, 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 or you have to go sit in the timeout chair. You know, that's your second warning. And most of the time, kids are like, oop, we don't want that. And they immediately will, you know, hand them the blue car or whatever else. Um, and and as PDI goes on, um, we as the, the therapists will introduce more difficult things. Oh, it's time to clean up. And then you give very specific directives. And in order for the child to be able to understand that there are long-term instructions, you know, like make your bed, that's multiple steps, right? We can't do one thing at a time. And be able to, I think graduation is being able to follow a PDI long-term command and walk through a toy store. Yeah. yeah. And that's really difficult. Even for me, it's difficult to walk through a toy store and not touch anything, you know, but that's the command. And then they get lots of praise when they do the right thing, when they listen to mom and dad. It is, we throw a whole party, like it's a big deal. Yeah. 
Um, so a lot of times that's more reinforcing than the previous behavior and attention seeking and tantruming. But I think it's also one thing I want to circle back to also is one thing you said earlier is, you know, that original child directed section, it can be eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 sessions. A lot of times once you get to PDI, as tough as that sounds, because you've got the tantrums that last forever, I mean, that's usually wrapped up in six, mm-hmm. seven. It's so fast. It, it It's so fast because that you have that one big explosion and the kids usually learn. And sometimes you don't even have a big explosion, honestly. So I've had plenty where it's like, yeah. we have a 10-minute tantrum and we're done. It goes pretty quickly. And it's like, oh, mom and dad really are going to not give me attention or not engage in my negative behavior. So I guess I better do the thing. I think one of the other problems I will have some parents kind of mention when we're in that meltdown phase too is, and I call them meltdowns, um, Mm -hmm. is, well, I don't want them to hurt anything. I don't care if they hurt a wall. Mm -mm. You know, as terrible as that sounds, you know, I don't care if they break a phone, as awful as that sounds. I mean, A, keep the phones away from them. But, you know, I would much rather, you know, we can replace those things. You know, behavior is much harder to change. And so... I think it's really important to just stick to your guns if you tell your child you're going to do something, do it. Um, with it. I think that also communicates, not, the, and I mean, I 100% get it. I've had a kid who's kicked holes in walls and broken windows and pulled blinds off. I mean, I, I 100% understand the how traumatic that can be and how scary and how dangerous. Um, however, I think when we say, well, I don't want my child to mess up the house, they know that and they use that mm-hmm. as a way to control the situation. They know mom's gonna acquiesce if I start kicking holes in walls. Yeah. Um, kids are way smarter than we give them credit for. And so if, if you hold your ground, and yes, you may have to put a, an exterior door in an interior door's place, or you may have to patch sheetrock or you know replace your blinds, um, that's okay, as long as your child has learned your word means something and their behavior, your behavior is not contingent on their behavior. Would you say that it would be like a smart idea? Like, let's say like they knew that they were gonna try to like enforce this behavior. Let's like, it was planned. If they were to remove some of the more expensive things, like you can't really remove blinds just casually, but mm-hmm. let's say you have a TV in there and you know that's a risk right now. I don't really have the money to replace that. Mm-hmm taking it out of the room just for that time period just to like kind of prepare for I know I'm about to use some of these like protocols um because there might be some people who go yeah but I can't afford a replacement Mm -hmm. the best move would then to probably try to remove the things that you definitely can't replace Mm -hmm. yeah one thing I I always call that setting setting the stage for success you know especially if we know that we're going to do some special time and this may get a little a little dicey you know, take out the things that you don't want your child touching. You know, um, if you don't want them, this is really going into more of the child-directed pieces, but if you don't want them, you know, jumping on the bed, don't have special time next to a bed. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't want them breaking certain things, if you can remove them, and it's not always possible, um, but, but certainly if you can, yeah, move that stuff out. And I think it's good to prepare a space special space, this is even part of um, the treatment, is to prepare a safe place if your child needs to have a meltdown. Sure. Um, Do you guys usually, after they finish the PCIT program, do you recommend that they continue with therapy services, like one-on-one with the child or with the parent? 
think it's going to depend on the family mm -hmm. and really the way that the the treatment is set up is you know go you know we only release them once behaviors have really declined significantly that's really what gets you to that graduation session and so at that point the expectation is that things really have improved so go home work on these things now if there are other issues at play that would prompt or warrant ongoing counseling I mean certainly continue you can probably speak more to that Emily but I have had a couple of clients where we have finished PCIT and have been very successful in, in lowering um, the incidences of these behaviors, but the child may have an ongoing issue such as ADHD, anxiety, whatever else. And so yes, then I will see them afterward, um, but that's rare, like that's only happened a couple times. Usually what they come in for is behavior, behaviors managed. And I always kind of leave an open door, you know, if anything else comes up, let me know, then you can, we can continue. And again, when you say behavior, a lot of these are families that are dealing with challenging behavior. We're not talking about a kiddo that occasionally has a tantrum or a three-year-old that has, you know, routine meltdowns like other three-year-olds do. We're talking about this is having the whole family walk on eggshells or it's impacting everyone's daily life. Mm -hmm. The child is having this behavior in other environments. Mm -hmm. um, the home is not a peaceful place and everybody's getting traumatized. The child's in distress, the parents are in distress. This is for specific skill building, right? Yes. To, yeah. to solve these ex more extreme behavior concerns but at the same time it, it definitely is for more extreme behavioral concerns but there are I would say a lot of the skills covered in PCIT are also really good parenting strategies period um, and you know we can post some resources um, below the the podcast here um, with some of that because I I can say you know again personally I don't you know my child is sitting right here um, you know, I cannot say that we have daily meltdowns and things, but hers can be pretty powerful. And I have leaned into some of these these strategies, and they work. So it's they're just really good therapeutic parenting tools in many ways. I recommend a lot of the child-directed um, portions for parents mm -hmm. um, just as communication strategies with their child. Um, and even in my home, um, my, my child that, that had some of the extreme behaviors, she is a teenager now and so amazing and wonderful and just really, you know, I think at one point she was probably seven and it was a really tough time for us. I was like, I just wanted to, I know she's going to be a leader, but don't let it be of a gang in prison. <laughs> you know, she's so strong-willed and so tough and you don't want um, to change that necessarily but I have to be able to parent her, I had to be able to parent her effectively, and I think a lot of these um, communication styles and strategies and parents, telling parents, hey, you've got to practice this, it doesn't come natural. Right. Yeah. And a lot of parents are like, oh, I thought I should just know what to do. No, not necessarily. Some kids are naturally harder to parent, mm -hmm. and I find that sometimes leading into PCIT in particular, if, if, it, if it doesn't come out in the lead up, it comes out during it. That, you know, I think it's therapeutic for parents to admit, this is hard. Going mm -hmm. back to something you said, I don't like my child every day. Mm -hmm. Like that is such a 
difficult thing for so many parents to say, but it's okay and it's very natural. It does not mean that you don't love them, but it means that some of this stuff is tough. There's a lot of parent and mom mom guilt I've heard about before, like as a phrase, but there's a lot of parent guilt, period, mm-hmm. I think, for how you, you know, address or feel about your child. It sounds like you both have kind of used these strategies. You know, do you have any mom guilt? I think every mom has mom guilt. I don't think I've met a single <laughs> mom that doesn't have mom guilt. The I'm reasons may vary, but one thing that I, I have noticed, in, especially in some of the clients that I've seen, is that in addition to the mom guilt, there's embarrassment over yes. the behavior, especially because it will happen in public, it will happen in schools, mm-hmm. and they're too embarrassed to even talk to other moms about it. And so I don't think there's enough acknowledgement of how common some of these behaviors are. Everybody's just trying to cover it up and dear Lord, please just get us home from the grocery mm-hmm. store. And I am not going to the grocery store. I haven't been to the grocery store in six weeks because my children are going to melt down. And so it's just, there's a lot of stuff there. Who among us has not football carried their toddler out of Target and left a full cart of groceries behind? If you have not surfboard style <laughs> carried your kid out of a grocery and store. And avoided eye contact. Yes. Are you even a mom? It's, I mean... <laughs> It is so, but yes, there's so much shame attached to it. I had a mom on my couch yesterday who she could barely speak about what was going on um, at home. And I don't often self-disclose as a counselor. I do some, um, because, but and I have asked my teen if that's okay if I do that. And she's like, I don't care. Okay. So I told this, this mom, I was like, I have been you. I have been the mom on the couch in tears thinking, what did I do wrong? And she started bawling on my couch. Just, she said, I thought I was a horrible mom. I thought I was alone. I thought that this didn't happen to everybody. And I was like, girl, if it didn't happen, I would not have a practice. <laughs> I would not have patience. You know, it happens. It's a way more normal than we think it is. And I think that alone was enough to get her, like, through it and be able to finish the intake. You know, this is just such a unique therapy because I can't, I'm sitting here thinking, I can't think of another resource that parents have to learn how to parent. I think most most of us, and I'm making an assumption, but I think most of us, just try to pick up on how we were parented and go from there. And, and you know, something else about it, too, and this is just, you know, self-disclosure, too. I mean, it's, there's another aspect of this, too, where tantrums and meltdowns are normal. Mm-hmm. And so I have parents ask, like, you know, how, how do I know what the difference is between, like, is this just normal behavior or is this something bigger? I have family members telling me that I just, you know, need to beat them and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and yes. that will always come up in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I, I think it's re- it is hard for every person, I, I would say, even, you know, for those of us in this field to know, like, well, I don't know, is this more than I, than I should be expecting for a toddler? Is it not? You, kn- you know as a parent if you're struggling a lot with it. I think the line for me personally was the eggshells. When I started letting my kid's mood dictate how I parented her, I was like, ooh, this ain't good. Yeah. There's, this isn't healthy. Because I think she felt that, and I think my other kids felt that too. That we were all at the mercy of this child's reactions. And I think for me, that was when I was like, ooh, can't do this anymore. (laughs) 
Well, that's something I hear when I see parents that are having behavior concerns. Um, sometimes I can recognize signs and symptoms in what they're describing, and I, you know, refer the child for testing because I'm concerned that there's some condition that is contributing to the behaviors. But so often I see parents of two and three and four year olds and they're at their wits end and they like shamefully admit to me, we don't want to spank or we we used to spank, but we just really hate it. Like they're afraid that I'm going to fuss at them because they won't spank. And um, again, that's where there's a generation that's examining more closely how they were parented and they're afraid to admit not to carry over some of those things. And, I mean, I, I'm sure all of you have heard this. I have been told before I, my child just needed a harder whooping. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> or, I, yes, or I just needed to spank them more. By family members and strangers. Sure. Yeah. But I, I'm just really glad to hear that there is this therapy available to those families who are really struggling and their child is struggling and it is it's teaching parenting techniques it's not just teaching them how to dominate a child or how to get what you want or to stop a child getting what they want you are focusing on skill building for parenting a human being and i think the an important aspect too of an older school version of parenting you know what's very compliance based is that we don't want blind compliance from a child that is very important right. because if they blindly comply with their authority figures they will blindly comply with their peers and I don't know about y'all but I don't want peers leading my kid around by the nose I just don't think that that's safe and so her I think using these these tools, my my spicy kid, she is able now to make decisions based on the outcomes, mm -hmm. which is way healthier to me than just being like, oh, she told me to do it, so I'm going to do it. Right, so she's able to make good decisions now because she knows the routine of mm -hmm. decisions and consequences, right. natural consequences even, but also you built that communication piece. I like that that description too because it, it's a nice way of, of describing this is not just a system where we're teaching you teaching compliance. No. It, it is a broad life skill mm -hmm. of your actions lead to certain consequences, you make the choice. And I would think that the parents that have participated in this have felt I'm um, I'm sure they felt many feelings going through some of this or if their child, you know, did have a meltdown in sessions or they were questioning whether they were doing the right thing. What a comfort in my mind to have some a professional guiding you through. And literally, you guys do Bluetooth, right? You talk, talk them, them through it. During, we talk them to them during it. the sessions, yes. That, that's one thing we haven't really addressed is yeah. what it looks like. Yeah, so I mean, we're sitting on the other side of a one-way mirror. And so it is the parent and the child in the room. That is it. And so they're the only ones in there. So the child is not learning, hey, mom only does this when Miss Emily or Miss Megan's around. It, and they're being coached through Bluetooth. So, you know, it's, it's very, it makes it a pseudo natural environment mm -hmm. um, so that when you go home and do it, it, it feels a little better. And who yeah. wouldn't love to have their little guardian angel in their ear talking them through <laughs> something really scary or difficult or something they haven't experienced with success before? And we, we also 
finish for like finish sentences for them if they're not sure what to say we give them statements um we help them to notice hey your child's doing good right now you know right don't forget to pray mention it you know so i think that's important too so that you know you're going to get lost plus it's a little scary having somebody in your ear and you know that a, a professional is watching you so um yeah we try to make it as easy as possible well, like it was said before, this is an opportunity for parents to learn, but also practice. You, not not all of these techniques come naturally. Oh no! And you, and you have to practice them and get better at them. Well, child-directed interaction is teaching the parent to talk like a child therapist. I mean, that's a master's degree in learning how to communicate with children, and you're supposed to learn it in 12 to 16 weeks, roughly. That's a lot of pressure. And so, of course, I would want somebody feeding me that information. Sure. So about how many sessions does the entire program take? And it really varies depending on child-directed interaction. Just how long um, the parents, it, how long it takes the parents to be able to meet criteria for those skills. Just for that to be natural and for them to feel confident. Um, some I've had some parents that have done it in like four weeks, so four sessions. Um, and then I've had some that it's taken, you know, 12. But usually, what, 10 to 20 sessions-ish? I mean, that's a lot. And are they generally weekly sessions? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Weekly sessions. So there you go. It, you may have had a, a problem or you may have been worried about this issue in your household and now in 20 weeks you could develop the skills you need to turn it around and build that relationship with your child. Potentially, yes. All right, well, it has been really wonderful hearing all about PCIT therapy from Dr. Chrysler and our resident friendly neighborhood child counselor, Emily Whaley. Um, to sum up, PCIT is a great therapeutic option out there if you are a parent of a child who's experiencing moderate to severe behavioral concerns or difficulties and you want to build your skills as a parent and disciplinarian and also build a better foundation relationship and communication with your child um, and get the guidance of professionals while you do that. So we are really looking forward to seeing, well not seeing you, talking to you all on our next episode. Remember to make kindness your default. Megan, do you want to say anything while we wrap up? I was just going to say we always talk about this at the end of the episode, but like we said, make kindness your default. Always um, give grace and show uh, kindness to the people around you because, again, you never know what they're going through. If you see that mom surfboard style carrying their child <laughs> through Target... You give that mom a nod. No more mom guilt. No more mom guilt. Just get rid of it. Yes. We don't want it anymore. It doesn't have a room for us. We need to just show kindness and understand that raising children is hard. And it does not come one size fits all. So. Well said. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next time. After a while, crocodiles. <laughs>